Welcome to Momentum Church. All right, well, good morning, everybody. I don't know if it's just me being too carnal on a Sunday morning, but there is something about the worship set this morning, the worship service, that just resonated deep in my heart as they said words like champion, as they said words like not defeated, amen? All I could picture in my head was that spinning throw to Freeman on first to end the series. Woo! I'm sorry. You just don't get this opportunity but in a while, right? So he had to say something about the Braves. How amazing was that? Amen. Well, we're going to get into our last week of this series called Hail Mary. And last week we were talking about things that we love to talk about. We love to talk about faith. I don't know about y'all. As a preacher, I love to preach about faith. I love to preach about what it takes to position you to receive from the Lord. And if you missed last week, go back and watch that four thing that it takes to position you you to receive from God. And that's exciting. How many in this room right now you want to receive from the Lord? Come on now. Talk to me a little bit today. I said, you want to receive from the Lord? There you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all have that kind of mindset. And when you're facing challenges and struggles, just to hear that faith-filled teaching, that faith-filled sermon, man, we all love it. We just, you know, I know last week I was all excited about getting to the preach and just get here and, and build faith and help you believe what God has for you and how to walk in what God has for you. We love to talk about faith. Now, in life, sometimes we like to talk about things like football. You know what we don't like to talk about? We don't like to talk about finances. Ushers, haul that person out, right? No, I'm teasing, no. No, I mean, I'm just being honest, like, like every one of us. And the reason why we don't like to talk about finances is because, frankly, finances are tense sometimes. Not at me if you're going through some things, right? You know what I mean? Finances, there's tension. There's stress that is connected to finances as we go through life. There's strain that's connected. There's labor. You don't get finances without labor, right? There's labor that's connected to finances. There is emotional weight that is connected to finances, This last week, I felt that so profoundly in that, man, you know, you get your emergency fund going, you got things going well, you're like, hey, I'm I'm finally Dave Ramsey in it. And then all of a sudden, it's like car repair this week, dental issue with one of the kids. Oh, my gosh. Haven't been to dentists like that kind of stuff in a long time. They really like, they feel pretty important, right? My word, you know. <laughs> we had that experience. Um, I had a scammer last week. I go and I look, and $900 is out of the account. I'm just like, oh, what happened? What did Amy do? <laughs> no, actually, when it comes to things like that, that's more like me. But, but oh, my gosh, what in the world? Thank God the, 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 the company was incredible. The bank was incredible, and they got the funds back in really quick. But, man, in that moment, it was tense. In that moment, I was worried. In that moment, I thought, man, there goes Christmas, you know, and all those kinds of tense things that we feel when it comes to, it, to finances. When it comes to possessions, there's tension that comes. I had a friend this week that went out to his park, his driveway, and his motorcycle was stolen. His beloved bike. Dude, I'm telling you, that is a sin unto hell. 
I'm serious. You steal a motorcycle? It's like, do not pass go. Go straight. No, I'm teasing. But my gosh, you know, all the tension that surrounds our possessions, all the tension that surrounds our finances. But, but the truth of the matter is finances are a tool too, amen? That, like God uses those finances to be a blessing. And, and so finances, when you think of finances, they're neutral. They're not evil. They're not good. Yeah, the love of money is evil. But man, the finances aren't. But they are packed full of potential stress and strain and so on. But man, can I tell you right now, finances are also packed full of blessing, opportunity, provision. How many thankful for some finances in the room today? Yes. You ate this morning. You were in a nice house this morning, you know. Maybe you drove a car here or you had a friend drive you here. You didn't have to ride here on, on, on a donkey, you know, however it looks for you. But provisions. I mean, when it comes to finances, the positive side, too, is the impact that finances can make. The legacy. Everybody say legacy. The legacy that finances can make. And so at times, and my staff knows this, I don't like preaching about money. I don't know why I don't. I just never have. But we will not give you a full gospel message. We will not give you the whole counsel of God's word if at times we don't go and speak about finances. When Jesus preached, 15% of everything Jesus said tied around finances, money, or possessions. Did you know that? 15, when you take all that Jesus said about hell and heaven combined, it's not even 15%. So Jesus speaks about finances more than he does heaven and hell. So it's important for us to understand finances as believers. Why did Jesus do this? Why do scriptures so much center at times around possessions and finances? Why is that? Why? I want to get into that today because it does. And here's our our working premise today. There is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think and handle money. I'm going to say that again, okay? There's a spiritual connection to our, our lives, a fundamental spiritual connection to our lives in how we think and handle money. You know, the series we've been calling the Hail Mary series, and sometimes when you're throwing up a Hail Mary pass, it does feel risky, doesn't it? You know, has anybody played football? Was anybody a quarterback in here? I, I sat the bench, but still, anybody... No, there is a risk factor, but when you throw that Hail Mary pass, you're hoping to come up with a win. You're not just throwing out into nothing. You're hoping that when I throw this that direction, I get what I'm intending. When I throw this that direction, I'm going to come up with a victory. I'm going to come up with something that would be on the ledger of a win. That's what I'm hoping for. And I want to show you in Scripture, let's look to Luke chapter 3, verse 8. Because when it comes to spiritual things, there is a win. Now, when they're preparing for that Hail Mary pass, I told you last week, it's not by accident. There's tons of preparation that come. And that moment in the end zone is the fruit of all their preparation. It's the fruit, if you will, of their labor as they prepare for the game. And so here in Luke chapter 3, verse 8, we're going to start there. You see John the Baptist, he's out ministering. And he's ministering to the Jewish crowds, and he's speaking to them about repentance. 
He's talking about life change. And what's neat is as people would come into a place of life change and repentance, they would be baptized as an act of their repentance. And we see that in Luke chapter 3. And it comes to a point when John says to them something powerful. He says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. This is what he says. So he's preaching a message of repentance. And he tells them, bear fruits. Everybody say, bear fruits. In keeping with repentance. He says, and do not begin to say yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abram. In other words, don't look at what I'm challenging you in, John the Baptist would say to them, as such a thing that you excuse yourself because of the grace that's upon you. You know, in the sense, they could say, look, we're the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've got everything that we need. And John would come along and say, yeah, no, 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 I get that. Don't, don't just use that. The rocks will praise God if that's the case. Don't just use that, that, that grace card. Don't you know who we are? Don't you know I've been redeemed? Don't you know? John would say, don't just use that. No, no, no. Bear fruits that are in keeping with repentance. He could not talk about spirituality without talking about how to handle money and how to handle possessions. It wasn't possible for John. And we're going to break this scripture down here as we look at this, all right? Let's just watch what he says. Because he goes on, he gives an example. Because they ask him in verse 10, the crowds ask, what then shall we do? We're trying to get our hearts right. We're trying to line up our lives spiritually. And if us just being children of God's not enough... Should be, right? I get that. But there ought to be a mark on the children of God. There ought to be something that is fruit that comes from our repentance. And this is what John says. So if you're upset with it, take it up with him. He says, what then? They say, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics, they're to share with him who has none. Everybody say share. There you go. And whoever has food, you should do likewise. To the tax collectors, also, they came to be baptized, and they said, Teacher, what shall we do? And I love this. Each of these people, what, what, what do you see in us that we need to do? What, what, what in the spiritual realm is holding us back? What is it that's keeping us from responding to the grace of God in this moment, this, this gift of repentance that brings life change? And to them, he says, to them, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do so. Remember Zacchaeus in scripture, who was a tax collector, and it says he was a rich man? He was supposed to just collect on the auspices of the Roman government, but no, no, now he is putting something in his pocket. He's collecting more. John the Baptist would say in this moment to these tax collectors, collect no more than you're authorized to do so. To the soldiers also, they asked, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations. So another question, men of force, men of means, men could get, they could get what they want with their, their authority. They could do that. They could take advantage. And he challenges them, don't, don't take advantage. And then the final one, he just says, be content with your wages. I'm not saying be satisfied. We ought to strive, amen? But he says, be content. Sometimes that lack of contentment will have you do things that, that, that would be off-putting or have you do things that wouldn't honor the Lord, wouldn't be a fruit of repentance, and so we can see here that to John, John was not going to allow these people to divorce their faith 
from their finances. Do you catch that? They go hand in hand. If you think about labor that creates finances, finances are an expression of your whole life. All that work, all those hours spent producing, all those things, and now you look to the Lord, and in those things you honor him in such a way that it's a mark of your changed life. It's a mark of your repentance. John, he couldn't talk about spirituality without telling these people, here, you want to be repentant? Let me show you how to handle your money. And each of them were different. I love that. That's why we don't look to each other and judge each other. Amen? God may challenge you in a different way. God may challenge you to a different level. God may challenge you in a different... But it all goes back to the heart. It all goes back to why he is challenging you. Because he wants you to bear the fruit of a life changed. That's what repentance is. It's a life changed. Well, I live for myself. Not anymore if you're a Christian. Now, I've said this before, and I'll say this 100 times in the next year, especially in 2022. I've, I've got in my, my spiritual, um, uh, i got a burr in my spiritual blanket. Is that okay? I do. You're going to hear me say this a lot next year. It's all right if you don't, but that's what Christians do. Let that sit on you. It's all right if you don't, but that's what Christians do. And in this, John is not letting them off. He's saying, no, the fruit of your repentance, your life changed, is for you to manage finances properly. It's for you to deal with the heart issue and be faithful in your finances. Jesus, man, he just carries this on some more. I mean, all throughout Scripture, you can see him ministering to Zacchaeus. Let's go to Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And so Jesus is ministering to him. Jesus goes to his house, says that he's a rich man, this man. Rich, as I told you, from the, 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 the expense of others, he has become rich and wealthy. And he comes to his house, and Zacchaeus' heart is turned in repentance toward Jesus. Jesus sees that heart change. And what I love about it, Zacchaeus, as an example of his heart change, this radical new approach to a repentant life, this radical expression that I'm going this way in my life, serving my purposes, my desires, my wishes, my whims, and Jesus comes to his house. And he begins to bring change to Zacchaeus' heart. And as a radical response to that, that heart that has changed, and as a proof of that heart that was changed, Zacchaeus gave away half of his goods to the poor. No, I'm not telling you to go tithe 50%, all right? I'm not telling you. If you want to, I'm not telling you. If God tells you to. And there are people that God will lay that on their heart as an act of their repentance, as that relationship with him, God would lay that on their heart. And thank God we don't have to judge each other. Come on, somebody. Amen? Uh, that's not what it's about. Not one bit at all. God was very thankful for the widow and her might. All she had was just a little might, a little tiniest bit of money. And Jesus was extremely praising of her as she was faithful with the little that she had. So it's not about how much. Because we can see that he did that. He gave 50%. He gave half. Then he said, everybody that I have exhorted or extorted, everybody that I've done wrong by, I'm going to restore all those funds fourfold. So I'm going to give 50% away. And with the 50% I have left, I'm going to restore everything I've stolen, not just restore it. I'm going to give it back four times. I'm praying my buddy gets four motorcycles. Come on, somebody. Four times. Isn't that awesome? Man. 
And that was a mark of his, his heart change. There's another man that Jesus began to minister to. We know him as the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes to him, and he throws up a Hail Mary pass concerning his eternal future. And what his pass is, he says to Jesus, he, he draws back deep in the pocket, and he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do? And Jesus is talking with him, and, and you know, he goes, I know the law. I follow the law. I don't murder, I don't steal, I honor my father and my mother, I keep the Sabbath, and so on. He even said that I love others as others have, I do unto others as I would want them to do unto me. He even got the golden rule in there, right? He got got it all in there. He probably had heard Jesus teach sometime before. And in the middle of this, Jesus begins to ask of him the fruit of repentance, which is crazy. Listen to what Jesus asked of him, because Jesus knew his heart. He said to the rich young ruler, if you would be made perfect, you would sell all. You would give it all away. What in the world? Jesus, that's too radical. That's just too much. And you know what? For you, it might be too much. That's why Jesus deals with us each individually. Amen? Amen? But for this rich ruler, just like Zacchaeus, Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knew the heart of that man was one so bent on his possessions that this would be a very difficult ask for him to walk out the fruit of repentance. John knew the people he was dealing with. They felt satisfied in their station as as, as Jewish people. They felt satisfied in their station as followers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, And so in that, they felt satisfied. With Zacchaeus, they really, he realized that he challenged, he, he challenged him and his finances, and Zacchaeus starts to give half of his stuff away and then some. And so we can see here that with this story, what was so sad, as this young man goes deep in the pocket and he throws that Hail Mary pass, what will it take for me to walk in eternity? And Jesus says to him, sell it all. It was too great an ask. It was too much for him. The ball falls doesn't make the touchdown, if you will. It was too much. The reason why, it says this. It says, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Do you catch that? Jesus was getting at the nature of his heart. And this young man, Zacchaeus goes away joyful. Zacchaeus goes away. My life has changed. I'm not the filthy, dirty publican anymore. I'm not the guy that's just ripping people off anymore. I'm a new person, a new creature with new expression of repentance. And because of that, I'm giving half my stuff away and I'm restoring fourfold. But for the rich young man, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Can I say it this way? I'm not sure if he had great possessions or if his great possessions had him. That's really the crux of this. He was short-sighted and couldn't see the opportunity that Jesus was giving to him. He was rich towards himself, but when asked to be rich towards God, he could not bear to leave any of his possessions. You know, he could have been like Zacchaeus even. Let me give some of this. Let me make a deal with God. God asked for all, but let me at least make a deal. He didn't even want to make a deal with God. God asked for all. Maybe he'd be happy with half. I heard the story of Zacchaeus. Maybe it'll work for me too. Thank God we're not comparing. That's not how it works. Jesus was asking of this man all, but he wasn't willing. Listen to this. When throwing a Hail Mary pass, the hope is to come up with a win. That's really what it is. 
But there is always a risk in throwing a Hail Mary pass with your finances. I hope this will take care of me. I hope this will serve me. I hope this will give us happiness. I hope this will give us... There's always a risk when throwing that. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 through 19, it says, As for the rich in this present age, and when it comes to the world, everyone in this room, y'all are rich. You know that, right? Like, like I'm just saying, like we're like in the, the probably even less than the 1% of the whole wide world when it comes to funds and finances. We're just as, as regular, everyday Joes. You can be living on welfare in America, and you're rich in the scope of, of the world. So as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Check this. This is that Hail Mary pass. Don't be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Charge them not to do that, Paul says to Timothy, the young preacher. Tell your people, don't, don't, don't put your hope in riches. Don't be haughty. Don't, don't. Don't do that. Don't set your hopes on uncertain things. But set your hopes on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Everything to enjoy. But it's easy for us in life, it's easy for us to set our hopes on uncertain things. Pastor Ross, you don't understand. When it comes to my finances, there's some things I have to throw my finances toward. Because if I throw my finances toward those, then I can, I can have the wind that I want. I, I can walk in what I, I feel is so important. And I know Jesus understands my heart. I'm his child, right? So he understands what I'm going through. I'm a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've been baptized. I'm a Christian. Jesus understands my heart. And so we take our finances, and let's use this first one. This is going to be security. Jesus knows I need a good house, and you do. Jesus knows I need a vehicle, and you do. Jesus knows you need a 401K, and you do. And I get all those things. And so we take all our finances, every bit of our finances, and we throw it towards security. And if I can throw it towards security, then I can have the confidence in my life that when it comes time, I'll have. That'll give me confidence. You don't understand, Ross. I, I, I saw my mom and dad end their lives, not end their lives, but finish their lives the last 15, 20 years, horrible in retirement. That's not going to happen to me. And so I can't be generous because I have got to worry about my security. And so I kick back deep in the pocket, literally deep in the pocket, maybe the pocketbook. And I throw that ball towards security. Is security a bad thing, y'all? No, it's not. God wants you to have a house. He just doesn't want you building it on sinking sand. The Bible says that there was a man, he took everything he had and he built his house on sinking sand. And it was gone. Everything that we face in our world will be gone someday. But that house built on the rock stood. So, yeah, God wants you to have a house. He wants you to have security. But don't put your faith, don't put your hope in the uncertainty of those things. Don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Well, Ross, you know, security is one thing. But another thing, another, I'm going to throw this to Brian there. That was a flea, that was a flea flicker. All right. So another thing that sometimes, well, you know what? It's like I need to be able to have a vacation. You do. It's good for me and my family to go on a date night. 
It's good for our kids and us. We have the membership over to, to Lifetime Fitness. I, I, I agree. All that stuff is good. I'm not, you have to understand, I am not saying not to have all those things, okay? But if I go deep in the pocket and I put my, my hope in entertainment, I put my hope in those things to satisfy, to bring lasting joy, to bring the fruit that I want in my life, to bring the TD, if you will, the touchdown in the end zone, those things will they'll fail me at some point. Amen? But I'm not saying it's wrong to have those things. It's just wrong for those things to have you. Right? And so entertainment. At times, <laughs> I'm going to throw this out there. You know when I start to meddle, I kind of chuckle a little bit, right? It's like, I can remember years ago, a young man living in his family's basement, nearing 25, 26 years old. Nothing wrong with that. But he had a $700 car payment going deep in the pocket, deep in his mom and daddy's pocket, but $700 car payment. And he gave me his keys so I could get in his car and try it out. And I threw the keys in his chest. I did. I went, wham. I said, and he goes, what? I go, hand them to me. He hands me. I threw him in his chest again. He goes, what? What? I go, I go, are you kidding me? There's no reason for you to not prepare for your future. You're putting a hope, if you will. I didn't preach the message to him, but that's the sense. He was putting his hope in an entertainment thing in this life, in this time, in this world. Man, I'm so proud of that young man. That's been probably eight years ago, and to watch him grow and to develop and to learn what really is important. He's come a long way. But the same young man, there were so many times, I have to go on vacation. I need to go on vacation. You have no money. I get it. Everybody needs vacation, but you have, you broke as a joke. There was times in Ohio in our young ministry years where, man, I remember four years of just staycation, staycation, stay. You know what? And Amy and I had a blast having our staycations, you know? It's just part of life. But you know what? No, I'm going to put my hope in entertainment. I'm going to put my hope in all those other things. I can't be faithful and generous to what the Lord would call me to be faithful and generous because I've got to have this or have that. And again, it ain't wrong to have something. It's just wrong when that thing has you. Amen? Say amen, everybody. Let me know you're breathing. Come on. One more. <laughs> Shout one more. This one here, oh, my gosh. I'm just, mm, I see my neighbor. I see my brother-in-law. Man, i got to have what they have. I'm going to title this one. The Joneses. That next purchase will make me happy. That next item will cause me to feel that, that, mm, that satisfaction, that joy. That. And so we go back deep in the pocket looking for our next dopamine fix. That's what it is, y'all. The dopamine fix, you crackheads. And I go back in the pocket for, to keep up with the Joneses. Joneses don't care about you. You know what the Joneses, they don't even think about you. You realize that, right? People, we think people think about us more than any of them ever do. Years ago in Ohio, I had a man come up to me in the church. And he's like, Pastor Ross, I just want to talk to you about something really important. I'm like, all right, let's talk. He goes, it's embarrassing the vehicles you drive. That's what he tells me. So I punched him in the throat. No, he goes, it's embarrassing the vehicles you drive. I said, what do you mean? He goes, it's just, I know we pay you decent, and you drive junk. And it just looks like we don't take care of you. And it's embarrassing. And you know what? He's right. 
How many ever has driven a $200 Yugo? I have. I paid for it because they put brand new tires on it, and then they decided to get rid of it, and I'm like, I'll give you 200 bucks for it. How many's ever driven a $800 Yugo? Because the 200 Yugo didn't last long. <laughs> I have. How about a, a $1,000 Omni? Remember those Omnis? Yeah, no, Dodge Omni. All I'm getting at is this guy was embarrassed. But can I tell you something? I was sitting on a brand new home I built when I was 24 years old on land that I bought when I was about 20. Why? Because I didn't care what people thought. I didn't have to keep up with the Joneses. I'm building a legacy. I'm doing something with my finances that has merit. And so I bought three acres of land. And man, we didn't put money to nothing but on that land until we had enough on that land that we could get our building contract, or whatever you call it, construction loan. And then we built a brand new home when, we were 20, when I was 24 years old. I'm not saying that to brag. I, mean, I don't think Amy and I combined made 25 grand a year at that time. And this fella, I'm not going to say what his job was because it's not about comparing, but he was a lot, lot older with a lot, lot that he was in debt for. <laughs> I wasn't going to try to keep up with the Joneses. Why? It had no legacy to it. Car's going to rot. I have nice cars now. But at that time, that's not where I was at in life. I wasn't going to rob God to have nice cars. I wasn't going to rob my future, my legacy for some short-sighted throw of a Hail Mary pass, this will make me happy. Can I tell you how powerful that was when it came to being able to, to have that house? It was that house when we sold it. It gave us tens of thousands of dollars to be able to move to Georgia, to plant Momentum Church. You all are sitting in a church, frankly, that hillbilly coal mine money helped buy. <laughs> Pastor, why you say that? Because when I was 18 years old, I got $4,000 from hillbilly coal mining money. Grandma Bobby, she got a whole lot more. But that's what I got. And I thought I can waste this or I can invest this. And I put it on that land and started paying on that land. I can remember till this day, that land was $14,400. It was 14000 It was 15000 I got them down 600 Not very happy with myself, but that's what we did. And see, so it created a legacy. It created some heritage. It created some impact but man, if I would have just had the nice cars, I, couldn't, I, I would have been living in the apartment over on Woodcrest Drive. Little tiny apartment, 300 bucks a week. I'd have stayed there and had myself a car payment that was more than that. No. Why? Because I didn't want to have short-sightedness in my, in my finances. What giving does, when you become generous, it frees you from the gravity of things. Tyler, come in your way. Where are you at? There you are. Don't let that hit your wife. Man, after I let go of that, I got real nervous. <laughs> oh, my word, I did. I got a little scared. I did an illustration years ago in Ohio, and I'm better than that now, but I was young and dumb, and I had Frisbees, and I thought it was a good idea. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, it hit the sourpuss in the church. This one lady in the church never could make, I mean, it was always something with her. Everything was always going wrong. She always found the faults right in the head. <laughs> I think that was sowing and reaping, but no, no, dude. I'm kidding. I felt horrible. Didn't lose my job, but I did feel horrible. <laughs> so what giving does, it frees you from the gravity. Remember I told you how finances and things have a weight to them? In 1 Timothy 6, 18 through 19, it says, They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous. So this is the, the contrast to walking in haughtiness and short-sightedness. We're to be good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and to need and, and ready to share. Watch what it does. 
thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Isn't that neat? More faithful with our finances. It allows us to take hold of eternal things. It allows us to take hold of that which is truly life. And the truth of the matter is when you think of the things in our life that we have, whether we, that we have it because of security, entertainment, or because of the Joneses, when it comes down to it, those things that we have, our lives orbit around our possessions. Possessions carry weight. They're simple physics. One of the simple physics, a law in physics is this. The greater the mass, the greater the hold the mass exerts. So I want to talk just a little bit about the tyranny of things. The reason why we feel that weight and that tension when it comes to our finances and our possessions, there's a tyranny of things. Things kind of can rule us if we're not careful. And here's what's crazy. When I was junk calling years ago as a, as a, as a side business, as we were financing all the church, you know, the church stuff that we needed to be able to do as, in ministry, do you realize I would get to the dump and I was blown away? There's that Xbox laying there in the crud, in the dirt, that those kids fought and fought and fought over. That that mom and daddy fought over. I, we're not going to buy it. We are going to buy it. We're not. But our kids need it. And da, da, da. It's laying there in the dirt. There's that Sealy posturepedic. I need a good night's rest. And you do. But man, the husband and wife had fought over that thing. And there it is laying in the bulldozer pushing it up over. There's not one thing in our lives, almost, that doesn't end up in the dump. It's just, just part of nature. But those things, they rule us. And I want to give you a passage of Scripture. I'm not going to take much longer with you. In Ecclesiastes 5, I'm going to read five verses and point out eight things, and it's going to go fast. Everybody say fast. I'm going to get a drink of water because we're going to rock through this. And it's going to be too fast for you. So what you're going to need to do is go to mymomentumchurch.tv and look up the notes for yourself and walk through it a little slower, all right? Ecclesiastes, Solomon writing this, the same man that would look at all things in life as vain, and he struggled with that, the purpose of life. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. And now I'm going to give parenthetical inserts on all of these. You ready? So I'm just going to roll. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. In other words, the more you have, the more you want. Nor he who loves wealth with his income, this is also vanity. The more you have, the less you're satisfied. When goods increase, they who eat them increase. In other words, the more that you have, the more people are going to come after it. Right? I guess none of you pay taxes up in here, up in here. And what advantage has their owner? But to see them with his eyes, the more you have, the more you realize it does you really no good in the end. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. Verse 13, there's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to their own hurt. The more you have, the more you can hurt yourself and others by doing whatever it takes to hold on to what you have. Sometimes we'll move out of integrous acts and just because, man, I got to hold on to this. I got to keep this. 
And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he, is, and he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. The more you have, the more you have to lose. And finally, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. The more you have, the more you're just going to leave behind. Now, I'm not talking about not creating a legacy. I'm not saying you spend everything. You, you, you're purposeful, but this passage of Scripture shows us that there is nothing wrong with having things. It's just wrong when those things have us. And we don't want to be ruled by the tyranny of things. So if we're not going to be ruled by the tyranny of things, what does it take to break us free from the gravity of our possessions? What does it take to break the orbit around our stuff? What does it take? It takes, everybody say this word, generosity. generosity. Yeah. Generosity breaks us out of the orbit around our possessions. And, and there's, there's a man in Scripture, and basically the story, imagine him with his cane, and he's walking, and he comes across a field, and he's walking across the field, a shortcut. And as he's walking with his cane, it hits on something hard. Thunk. Hmm. Thunk, thunk. That doesn't sound normal. Thunk, thunk, thunk. Man, he begins to dig at the dirt. Scraping out with his cane. When he gets down in there, there is a treasure box full of coins. More money than he had ever seen in his life. And he's so excited about this. He, he, he leaves it because he's not a thief. And so he leaves that in the ground. And he goes and finds out how to buy that field. And he purchases the field. Because if you own the field, you own whatever's in the field, right? So he purchases that field, and then he gets his treasure. But he sold everything, all of his possessions. Not one thing did he keep, and he went to be able to have the finances to get that field. Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. That's the story we just told, just a little bit longer version of it. When it came to this man, it cost him everything he owned. But don't miss this. It gained him everything that mattered. That's how it is with our finances. When our mind's on the temporal things only, we get wrapped around the gravity of those things. But when we start to be generous and realize I've been bought with a price, Jesus has purchased me, and because of that, everything I have is his. It's not mine, it's his, and I'm just a steward. Man, when we start to realize and live that way, we begin to walk into everything that really matters. And it shouldn't be today as you're sitting a sense of heaviness. It says here in the passage of Scripture, then in his joy he goes. It was in his joy, not his drudgery, that he sold everything. In other words, he sold it all. Why? He was trading up. He was walking in a greater treasure. Jesus in this parable, what he was speaking to was this. He was speaking to what we do value in contrast to what we should value. For this man, he valued all his stuff. But man, not at the expense of not getting that treasure. He wanted to walk in that treasure. My question to you, are you willing to give up ownership of your money and possessions for greater treasure? When I say ownership, what I'm saying is, are you willing to look at your lives as a steward before the Lord and that everything you have, when he bought you with the price of his shed blood, everything you have is his. Matthew 6 speaks of this eternal treasure. 
Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can see the risk of having your finances all focused on security, entertainment, and the Joneses. The risk is that you can throw that Hail Mary pass and lose it all. There's always a risk to throwing a Hail Mary pass with your finances. But when you're a steward and everything you have is his, man, there is never a risk in throwing a Hail Mary pass with God's finances. Amen? I I don't just tithe. That's not not what it's about. No, 100% of what I have is his. Tithing is just part of that. Tithing is just saying, God, I'm going to give this to you, but I'm just going to steward everything else that you've given to me well as well, well as also. Because we're not our own. And, you know, in football, when there's a penalty, there's a flag on the play, right? I think there's a red flag that we should see thrown in our lives. And what that red flag is, when we think like owners and not like stewards, flag on the play. You want to connect with the Hail Mary Pass and see eternal things happen, see legacy, true heritage, and so on, true provision, man, there'll be a flag on the play if you live your life as an owner, not a steward. We are stewards of the things of God on all of the things that we have. And when we live as stewards, all we are doing is just giving away God's money to do God's work. It's his anyhow, right? I'm not going to take long with this, but man, like I said, when we moved here, God gave us those finances so that we could do what we needed to do over the next couple of years. And when things got tight, we sold our camper and we used those funds. And when things got really tight, we sold the motorcycle and God used those funds. And, 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 and it seemed in the moment that I was just like fumbling the ball. Like, I can't believe this. Why, is it, why are we going through this? But all it was was God just speaking to our hearts in those moments that this is more important. What I'm calling you to is more important. We felt at times that we sacrificed everything, and that we were tossing up a long shot, but man, we weren't. God used everything that we ever gave him for his glory, and God restored everything that we ever sacrificed. Not one thing lost. So yes, when we give treasure, it's stored up eternally. We see that, and we don't give to get. I'm thankful that everything's been restored. It took a lot of years. Been here 16 years. It's only been the last year and a half, two years that we've seen the restoration of all those things. But it's not that we give to get. That's not why we do that, right? I say that, and in some ways it is. Because when we give, we get eternal blessing. When we give, we see lives change. When we give, things that will last for all eternity manifest. They don't end up in the dump. A soul saved doesn't end up in a dump. A marriage delivered and healed and a healthy family, those kids and the legacy that they have, that stuff doesn't end up in a dump. Amen? But yeah, we don't give to get Here's why we give, and it goes back to what we said earlier. We give because it's our response to God's grace. God is so good. And like thunder follows lightning, I believe giving should follow grace. And I believe when grace follows, giving follows grace, it's just as powerful as thunder and lightning. It makes an impact in the heavenlies. Amen? I'm going to close with this passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 8. Verse 7 through 9, um, 
I want to go back to verse 1, if that's okay, all right? This is just speaking about God's grace. It says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in severe tests of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. It just sounds like a, a dichotomy. These are people going through stuff. But Paul was raising funds to bless the church in another area that had need. And now Paul's using this story like I'm using this story with you. He's telling the church in Corinthians, who had much more finances than the church in Macedonia, to look at what's important in life. Look what's really valuable. For they have gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Their hearts were turned to Jesus, and then the project that we were telling them about, their hearts were turned toward, toward us, if you will. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and in speech and in knowledge and in all earnestness and in love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. The act of grace that comes into our life through Jesus is salvation. And then Jesus looks to us and he challenges us to complete that act of grace. If things can't flow through you, things won't flow to you. And so that grace shouldn't be something that stops with you. We're the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No, no, no. These rocks can praise you. Shouldn't stop with you. No, what should I do in my life to turn with a heart of repentance and walk after you, God, inter toward internal manners and the things that you desire? What does that look like, Jesus? And what it looks like, as we've seen in Scripture, to complete that grace. His grace to us and his grace through us and his grace to others and his grace to us and his grace to us and his grace to others and his grace to us and his grace through us and his grace to others. I could go on all day long, but that's all I've been seeing for the last 30 years of ministry. It's just a life where, God, I don't have much, but what I have is yours. And God, I thank you. And it's so much fun to see what you're going to do next. And there's been times I told you last week where I was ugly. My heart hurt. I didn't understand why the blessing wasn't coming so soon. Well, there was things that was needing to be changed because God's grace to me was a heart that needed to be changed, not just a bank account that was full. God had to work some stuff out in me over about a decade. Amen? And so, verse 6, so he should complete among you this act of grace. And I want to just challenge you. When it comes to that Hail Mary pass, God wants you to make a completion. He wants you to get the TD, amen? He wants you to go all the way to the end zone and come up with that victory for his glory and for the good of others. And so I want to pray, and I just want, as we go to prayer, for you to think of this last thing. Make a decision today to throw your finances toward the things that have eternal value. And then let God's grace be completed in you by being generous in all things, amen? Jesus, we thank you for your goodness in our life, and we will respond accordingly, Lord, as an act of repentance. Lord God, as a heart changed, we will be generous people because you're a generous God, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Give God some praise. Thanks for joining us. 
for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.